Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Amen. So we have started the series here, so to speak. Well, we attempted to start a series. The, the weather and certain things has, has intervened. But it's this concept of letting God do his thing. Let God and let go. You've heard the popular term. It was, was there for a while. And so this series was about what are those things that we hold on to too tightly? Because there's some things that's okay to hold on to. But there's certain things that we should let go a little bit. And Pastor Billy talked to us about having the mind of God. That our minds get just too focused on all of this. And we probably should focus more on just this. And so we went and we heard about that, and, and then two weeks ago, I gave a message about it's in there, a message about it's in there, a message that used this verse here, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, is talking about being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, you got it, in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about what does it mean for God to be doing a work inside of us. So often we think that God is doing a work to us or for us or around us or with us. But this verse is clear. God is doing a work in us. And then often God is doing a much bigger work that no one will ever see rather than what everyone will see. Here's something taking place inside of us. And we went on to share in that sermon that God has given us all that we need inside of us to accomplish his plan for us. And I really enjoyed the sermon. Matter of fact, some of it was news to me as I was preaching because the Lord was speaking to me. I, I went up to a couple people because the Lord gave me specific names about that message. I told you to look on the podcast and, and listen to it even last week. And would you believe, now I've been doing, I don't remember how many now, Kevin. It's, it's at least been 150 sermons that you and I have put together on podcast. And yet last week was the one sermon we couldn't figure out how to record. So last week is, uh, it's gone. If you were here, you or two weeks ago, if you were here, you were part of it, you heard it. Um, if you weren't, I greatly apologize. I really considered just sitting in my office preaching to myself and recording it. I tried it. It was really odd. My wife and kids said they'd sit around and go, amen, a couple of times. I couldn't figure out how that was going to work. I considered doing the whole video thing on Facebook Live. Yeah, that's not me. So I'm not real sure. Uh, I've been um, prompted to just write it out. And so I probably will do that. And then for those who, who want to uh, see and be a part of that message, maybe that's the way we'll go. So there's more to come on that. But the point is, the message last week was about God doing something inside of you and he having great and majestic plans for you. And him doing something, him using his abilities inside of you, not your abilities. And you see, and what happens when we think about this, when we think about God doing a great work in us, when we think about God starting something and seeing it through to the end, your mind starts racing of all the things you think God has in store for you. Maybe you think about being on stage, or you think about being a Bible teacher, or maybe even a preacher, or maybe you think about being a missionary, or maybe you think about doing a ministry, or, you know, who knows, your mind begins to race. And if you're in ministries, maybe that vision is bigger, but if you're not in a ministry, if you're new to Christianity, you begin to think, wow, that's, that's a lot to do. I, 
you know, maybe God can do that in me, but me, really? Me? You? You see, what happens is as we begin to think on what God wants to do with us, all of these other feelings start rushing in. The verse says it's pretty clear that God is doing it. He wants to do something, and he wants to complete it. Yet there's a problem. It's us. You see, when we start thinking about what God wants us to do, when we start thinking about the great and mighty plans he has for us, all sorts of thoughts come to mind. One of those thoughts is this one. I am weak. You picked me, Lord, to do something great? Really? No. I mean, that's what you got the pastor for, or the worship leaders, or the church leadership team. That's what they're for. Not, not me. I got, I got real problems. The church don't know about my problems because I, I keep them pretty quiet. My problems manifest late at night, or they manifest when no one's looking, or my problems are at work, or my problems are here or there. Certainly, God can't do a work in me. You know, it's, it's interesting how we do this. As humans, it's natural. We, we tend to group people into two groups. It's always two. It doesn't matter. We, we want to, as humans, oversimplify everything. And so we, we see people and we generally think, oh, they're rich or they're poor. We think, oh, they're healthy or they're sick. We think, oh, they're good people or they're bad people. Well, those are the strong and these are the weak. And ultimately, when it comes down to your personal time and you dwelling on verses like this, Satan takes that full advantage to make you think you're the negative side of all of those things. It's just natural. It happens to even me. You know, think of it this way. If I said to you right now, and I've tried this a few times, so hopefully the survey says, I tried it, I said to some people, what do you think your weaknesses are? You know, and immediately look at me like, well, we asked that question for, right? And I don't know. And they start coming up with some trite things, right? What have you, right? But it, it, they kind of, it, it's hard to come up with the words, you know, right in public. But if I said to you, hey, look over to your neighbor and tell me what their weaknesses are. Oh, you got a list. And don't do it. Don't even look at the person right now because they're going to want to know what you're thinking. I mean, the list is going to be like this. I'm not kidding you. And then when you tell them that list, the other person will be like, eh, well, okay. And, and then they're going to think, oh, now I got a list for you. And you'll go back and forth. It's so easy seeing it in others. And here's the irony of that. Here's the irony. That if it really came down to it, and God read your mail and wanted to know exactly what your weaknesses are, more than likely, the person sitting next to you maybe doesn't even know it exists because it's so deep down inside of you. And you, you know it. You're scared to even think about it at times because Satan reminds us that we are weak. You know, I looked up weakness. Yeah, I love looking up language. I, I didn't study my language in high school. I did some French and some Spanish. I did some Latin because I was told to. Some Hebrew. And when I became interested in the Bible, I started studying Hebrew and Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, but not to learn it, but just to study what the words mean. And so now I'm just I'm fascinated with words, and I use dictionaries a lot. Weakness, the definition of weakness right now by Webster's is lacking the power to perform a difficult or demanding task. Lacking the power to perform a difficult or demanding task. 
If I say just that without going to any Bible scriptures, those of you who have studied the Bible for any period of time would know that's exactly where God wants you. He wants you to lack the power of your own to do a demanding or difficult task. And in so doing, go to for that very power. When you're weak or you think you're weak or you begin to dwell on your weaknesses and you begin to think about them, and for some this is difficult because the weaknesses are front and center. Maybe they stutter. Maybe they have some type of disability. Maybe they're not as good as everyone around them. Maybe they don't have a thing that they're known for. And so it's sort of ever-present in everything that they do, especially when they're around church people, right? Because church people is all about being better and being a better you. And so when you want to be a better you and you come to church and you don't feel like you're as good as everyone else, your weaknesses tend to come right to the fore. And this is Satan's plan. His plan is to help you identify your weaknesses and make you feel like those weaknesses are your broken wing. You can't do anything. You can't fly. You can't be with these people. You can't do those things. You can't start a good work. You have defects, flaws, disqualifications. The Bible has a word. It's interesting all this sort of talk I'm using. I'm using it to paint a picture, but it's really quite simple. You know, back then, they didn't have to use all these fancy words like I'm using. They used one word to describe all of this. The word is sin. The word is sin. You see, in the Old Testament, they used Hebrew, and it was for the Jewish people. And in Hebrew, the word sin, it means uh, trespasses or transgressions. It's talking about the things you do intentionally to disobey God. It's talking about the things you do that will distance you from God on purpose. And you know there's a whole list of them. And I'm sure you have a mind when I think of sin, that list of, of rules of do's and don'ts. And all the don'ts you associate with a transgression, with a trespass. Lying, cheating, stealing, etc., etc., etc. But in the New Testament, I don't know if you've studied this, but in the New Testament, there is a word for sin as well. Now it's written in Greek. Now this is what Jesus came, and this is he's speaking in, in these languages, right? He's speaking to all of these people, and he's using Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. All these different things were written down in these books. And so when they translated it into the Greek and they sent it to us, the word sin means something a little different. So when it says, I'm a sinner in the New Testament, when you say that I'm a sinner, Jesus was looking at sin, particularly around those who believe. The word sin means something very specific. It means sort of all of those things I said, but the way that it's translated is to miss the mark. It means I've given you the goal, I've given you the objective, I've given you the rules, and when you miss those, you're in sin. And so the problem with this is there are so many of them. There are so many ways to miss the mark. And so Jesus says we're all sinners, even for the best of them. The ones who try to live like kings, who try to live religiously and righteously, they're sinners. He even points out, and I know it's mind-blowing when you think about it this way. He says, look, the Bible says to love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Do you do that every single day? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Sometimes. And other times you miss the mark. He says to pray without ceasing. You do that, right, all the time, right? You pray without ceasing all the time, right? While you're eating, while you're sleeping, while you're taking a shower, while you're in the bathroom, while you're dealing with your kids, you pray that while you're screaming at your wife, you're praying, right? No. Many times we miss the mark. 
This is what it means to be a sinner. And Satan wants to make sure you know how good you are at missing the mark. And so he wants to remind you. And so a word like this, I am weak, comes to mind as I put this sermon together. Because I think as we put ministries and churches, and we're building a church here, as we do this, we often, and and I fall into this same trap, we think God's looking for the best. I want to put a ministry together. I want to pick out the best to lead that ministry, the best to, you know, disciple in that ministry, the best to volunteer in that ministry, the best to have on stage, the best to read the word of God, the best to pray, the best. And some churches are good at this. I mean, they really, I mean, they're mind-blowing. There are some of the best celebrities and best artists and best theologians in some churches today and my hat's off to them and glory to God that God is able to use them in that way and reach tens of thousands and millions in some cases and so when we see those small cases we wonder isn't that what God is looking for he's looking for the best all the time that's what this message is about God is not looking for the best. And we have so many examples in Scripture and in the real world. So I was, I was thinking to myself, I don't see the Shelleys here. Is the Shelleys here today? No, I always like using basketball and sports references when the Shelleys are here because Matt's whole ministry is around sports. Let's look at sports for a second. You know, at the turn of the century, there was a sports team called the Washington Redskins, and they had a new theory that they could be the best sports team of all sports teams, better than the Patriots or whoever the best team was, by simply buying all of the best players. So they went out, and they spent an inordinate amount of money on a few of the best players, and they fielded more of the best players than any other team at that time. Did they win the Super Bowl? Did it go well? Some people argue they're still trying to recover from that disaster. But there's probably no better example than trying to put the best together and assuming that'll be the best team, that'll be the best output, that'll be the best construct to to win or achieve the goal. There's probably no better example than the 2004 men's Olympic team. I don't know how many of you guys follow the Olympics or how many of you even follow basketball or sports, but you all know the term, the dream team. It started in the mid-90s when Michael Jordan and all of the greatest basketball players at that time joined together on a basketball team to play in the U.S. Olympics. And NBA players from all over came. And it was a great prestige. It was a great honor. And they got together and they dominated. I mean, they crushed. It was unreal. It was like the Harlem Globetrotters playing against everyone else. A couple years later in 2000, it happened again. They got another set of players, a different set of players, and it was a great prestige and a great honor, and they crushed again. Then 2004 happened. 2004, perhaps one of the best basketball players ever to play. He's still playing. LeBron James, one of the best basketball players to probably have ever played or handled a basketball. The guy standing next to him, Allen Iverson. These, at the time, were the best. And so what they decided, said, look, we're so good, we're America. Now, I don't know exactly what they were saying, but this is me thinking about what they were saying, looking back. We're America, we're so good. We're the NBA, they can't possibly beat us. We'll just get the best players. We'll throw them in, they're doing their normal day job, they're working, we'll let them do all of that. They'll come, we don't need much practice, we don't need to talk together much, we'll just put the best players together and, and we'll see how we dominate. Not only did they not dominate with the best players, and they were two, three, four times better than everyone around them, 
They lost not once, not twice, but three times. That's not the gold medal around their neck. That's the bronze, and they don't look too happy for having it. My point is, taking the best, God using the best, is not always what's going to bring about his plan. It's not always the best formula. In 2004, it was a disaster, and they're still reliving this moment, even today. The quote I want you to think about is, God is calling those who know they missed the mark. God is calling those who know they missed the mark. There are many of us who miss the mark. There are many of us who don't know God and don't even care that they missed the mark. God's still dealing with them in a different way. Then there are those who have no idea they missed the mark and need to hear the Bible and need to hear some teaching to understand that they're not doing the right thing. But there's a whole bigger group, which is usually most of us, who know what God wants us to do, who can hear God's voice, not Pastor Sean's, the small, the small still voice in your mind and your heart that God is speaking to you, knowing what you should do, but you look at your life, the challenges, the defects, the faults, the discomfort, the disqualifications, and you just say, I can't do it, or I can't do it today, and you miss the mark. God is looking for you. He's looking for you because when you know you've missed the mark, now he can use you. Now he can do something. Now he intends to do what he always was going to do because you're out of the way. Before, when you didn't know you missed the mark, you were using your own strength, your own resources, your own time, and he's like, I can't work with that. I need to work with those who know they've missed the mark. What do I mean? Let me give you some examples. You know, this is, this is the people who go to the grocery store and they see somebody having trouble and they know they should pray for them but don't. They missed the mark. Or even how about those who do pray for them, get all excited. They pray for them and they go, that was the worst prayer ever. Right? Or those who know they love their wife or their husband, they love their spouse, and they really want to show how much they love them, but they can't stop arguing and screaming at them and doing everything to annoy them accidentally. They know they missed the mark. Or the employee who knows he's, he or she is supposed to do their best at work and give the time that they're being paid for in the best way they can, and yet day in and day out, no, they're just not doing what they should be doing for whatever reason they come up with, and they're missing the mark. What I want to remind you today is Jesus, he specifically sought out, he targeted those who missed the mark. He didn't have a problem with sinners. He had a problem with those who didn't know they missed the mark, the self-righteous. He had a problem with those who thought they had it all figured out. I'll read it right here just real quick. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. But I'm going to read in my story Bible. This is the New Living Translation, so it reads real simple. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Tax collectors back then were people that were hated. Maybe still are. Quote, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said this to him, so Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and all of his disciples to Levi's home as dinner guests, along with many of his tax collector friends and other disreputable sinners. 
There were many of this kind of people following Jesus. But when the teachers of the religions and the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, quote, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Heavenly Father, right now I pray in Jesus' name that you will remind us, Lord God, that we are to bow before you, that we are not to see in ourselves self-righteousness, that we are not to see in ourselves, Father God, what others are doing wrong, but Lord God, we are to look inside and recognize that we often miss the mark, which makes us sinners, which makes us require you not just once in a lifetime at an altar or a rededication service to pray a prayer, but every single day of our lives, we miss the mark and require you, Lord God, to make it all right. So Father, in this moment, I pray that you would give us your holy word and release the mystery of what we're about to see. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church says, amen. So here's the good news. The good news is this verse I want to share with you today. It's the main verse of my sermon. It's the main point of this. You know, I see lots of verses all the time. I see verses like John 3.16. I see verses like Philippians 1.6. I see verses all over, and most of these famous verses are printed on signs or tattooed on skin. People quote them on their books and all sorts. I don't as see as much this verse. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The reason why I put this verse up in big, bold letters and not the verse itself, because this is the time for you to open your Bible, to take out your notes, to write it down. If you don't have anything else, grab a pen, write it on your hand, Romans 5.20. This verse you need to know. This is the verse that I hope through this message is going to change your life. Because that's the kind of messages I want to do. I don't want to do messages that we've heard a hundred more times. I want to do messages I believe that God is going to preach to you and speak to you in a way that's going to change your life. And so this is what I wanted to share with you. Romans 5.20. So Romans, you could turn your Bible. It's after all the Gospels, right after Acts. You know, right there in Romans, it's, it's, it's in the second half. The first part of Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. Huh. Now your version is going to say something like that, like the law was given to see sin being recognized or something like that. You'll see that. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. This is the God that most people think of when they think of God of Christianity. Oh, he's all concerned about sin. He's got a set of rules and responsibilities to worship and honor him. And if you don't do that, you're a sinner and you're no good. And so if you've been to church before, you realize you can't ever do that as good as Jesus did anyway. So you'll always be less than him. So why even try at all? Because you're a sinner. And we can talk about Jesus forgiving you of your sin. And we can talk about you spending time with the Lord. We can talk about all these things. And often they represent what's going to happen in eternity. So that I can spend God in heaven and not have to go to hell. Yeah, we can have that conversation. But Romans chapter 5 verse 20 doesn't end there. This is amazing. I want to share it with you real quick. It says... But as people sinned more and more, 
God's wonderful grace became more abundant. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Let me try to explain this the best way that I can, and I don't know if I can. I'm going to attempt to do so. You see, there's a word in the Greek that meant more. It meant to increase. The word is perisuo. Perisuo meant to have more and to increase. And this word was used a lot in the Bible. There's a lot of increase and having more in the Bible. In this verse, they didn't use the word perisuo. They used a different word, pleonazo. Pleonazo means to super increase, to super abound. So when it said that I gave you laws so that we can see all of the ways we're missing the mark, he used the word pleonazo. You're going to miss the mark a lot, like a, a real lot, not just a little. You're going to do it a lot. And then he says, but where sin abounded, he said, he's the same word here, pleonazo. You're going to miss it a lot. So there's going to be a, a lot that you're going to miss and recognize it's going to be more than you could count. And then he says, but grace abounded much more. And this is where it's interesting. I got the story Bible, you know, the NLT, and they can't translate it much better. This is beautiful. Listen, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. It's like six words. This version, New International Version, grace abounded much more. There's four words. What was interesting to me is when I went to the text, the original text, the Greek, and looked at it, it's one word. That whole sentence is one word. They go back to this parisio, and they add the word hyper in front of it. Hyper parisio. It's not a word we use. It's not a word you would hear. Hyper parisio, it literally means to ultra, hyper, super abound. When you go try to look at the definition, it basically says to have more and then more and then more on top of that. I, I was trying to think, how can I possibly explain this verse to you? I, I was trying to think, it's like, like mm, let me think about it. So the way, what he's trying to do with, with words here is say, yeah, there's a lot of sin and there's this much and the grace you'll have for the sin is way bigger. It's not equal to the sin. He's going to give you grace that's way, way bigger than the sin. Right? Somebody's starting to figure it out here. So how, how can I give you imagery? And I didn't have time to do all the videos today, but most of you who watch TV, you've seen commercials. There's a few commercials out there that do it better than I ever could describe. Geico's do it. It goes, Geico will give you more. Have you ever seen these Geico commercials? The, one of the first ones was two guys working out, right? This guy's working out. He's like, oh, I got more. More on my car insurance. And then, you know, he's a skinny little scrawny guy like me, right? He, he says, Geico gives me more. He turns around, and now he's a big guy like Mr. Wayne. And he keeps working out. All of a sudden, he, Geico gives him so much, he's like Mr. Olympian Arnold size. At Christmas time, they did the same thing, right? Christmas time, these two guys are putting their houses together, putting lights all over their house, right? He goes, Geico gives me more. And all of a sudden, he's got more lights than the other guy. And he goes, Geico gives me more than that. And all of a sudden, he's got his entire house filled with lights. And it ends with, and Geico gives me more. And now you can see, like, the house from outer space. Do you see what I mean? This hyperperusio means that God intends to give you so much grace that he can barely explain it with words. And so every version of the Bible tries to explain it with a different set of words. And it's impossible to understand unless you really, really, really dwell on it. 
And that's what I want you to do in this second. It's like asking for a cup of water, right? Perusia would be, I give you a cup of water, and I got an extra cup of water here when you're done that water. Hyperperusio is, here, here's a cup of ice water, throw you in the pool, take you out of the pool, give you two more cups of water, and then say, come in the house, let me give you some air conditioning. Oh, and by the way, it's your house. That's hyperperusio, right? It's, I have a bill to pay. I can't pay it. Perusio is, hey, I, you know, I know you weren't expecting it, but let me give you some money to help you pay that bill. We'll get through this together. Hyperperusio is, I'm going to pay that bill for you and all of your other bills. In the Bible, it uses this example of hyperperusio. It says, and by the way, it only uses this word twice in all of Scripture. Perusio, it uses like 60 times. This one, it only uses it here in one other case, and it's the same concept. Uh, think of it this way, and you may have heard this before, but you, you get a really bad ticket. Maybe it's a speeding ticket. Maybe it's some type of violation. You know you're going to go in front of the judge, and you know the judge is going to convict you. You know you're wrong. You're standing in front of the judge pleading for mercy. Perusio is him giving you that mercy, reducing your sentence. This is how people think of grace. It is not so. Grace is, in this sense, this hyperparousio grace, it is, it, is meant to, it is meant to manifest this way. The judge looks at what you've done. You had a transgression. You missed the mark. There is a punishment. There is a law. The punishment must be paid. He says that is going to be the punishment. It's 50 years. It's 10 years. It's $1,000. Whatever it is. And then after he hits the gavel, boom, down. He gets off of the judge seat and he comes down to where the, the, the person is. He takes off his robe. He gives the person a hug and says, I will pay the price for you. This is hyperparousio. It's more and then more and then more on top of that. Are you following me? We need to think like this. This was the best picture I could come up with. I came up with this. I would have took a picture of my son, but he was moving so fast. Friday night, we went out to dinner, and he wanted to dress up in full costume, which he does around the house all the time, but this time, he wanted to go out in public this way. And so when he realized he could go out in public this way in full costume, he decided, I'm not just going to wear one costume. I'm taking full advantage of this opportunity. So he put one costume on. He put another costume over that one. His underwear, I think, was over top of his clothes. He had a tail hanging out the back, and he had a mask on, and we walked right up into the restaurant like that. And I tell you, he felt like he was invincible. All of a sudden, he couldn't think of his weakness. He didn't realize he was a child. He didn't care that he didn't have no money. And he, he, in his own strength, couldn't do anything. In his mind, he was experiencing hyperparisio. He walked in, and he literally saw you. And we had to wait, and we're all grumpy, and the phones aren't working. And one's trying to charge it. Another one's complaining about how close they're sitting. Another one's complaining we're sitting so far away. and people It's a mess. And yet, Griffin in his full costume, looking like this, is standing there like karate chopping and flying around and kicking, and, and he is just having a blast. And everyone in the restaurant is staring and watching this manifest because they know how he feels inside. Nothing can stop him. He's not focused on his weakness. He has changed his focus. That's what this verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 20 is. Don't focus on the sin. Whatever the sin is, the grace will abound so much more. Moses didn't focus on his weakness. He was a stutterer. David didn't focus on his, he was the youngest of, of Jesse's tribe. You know, he had all sorts of issues. And yet look what happened with him. Peter didn't focus on his weaknesses. Speak first, think second. No, think about Paul. He was the chief of all sinners. He wasn't the best. None of these were the best. All of them had flaws, defects, and yet it was in there. And God's grace swallowed him up.
so they could be the leaders they are. The verse for this one, it's beautiful, just so you can understand what I'm saying. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put shame to that which is mighty. He intends to use your very weakness to put shame to the mighty. I am not looking for the best leaders. I am not looking for the most talented people. I am not looking for the best Christians to come up in here and help me build this church. I'm looking for those who know they've missed the mark because I know that God will use them to put shame on the mighty. That's why he sent Jesus, baby Jesus. Again, he didn't send this warrior from heaven like an angel. He put the weak and the foolish, a baby in a manger, to confound the wise, to make shame of the mighty. Satan intends to haunt you with your weakness. If you don't have a job, he's going to remind you of all your non-qualified qualifications and why you can't get that job. If you make bad decisions, he's going to remind you how often you make bad decisions and you never will make good decisions. And maybe if you had more time to think about it and maybe if you spent more time alone, it would be better. So he wants you to focus on your weaknesses and make decisions based on those weaknesses. God intends to use those very weaknesses to change the world around you. And by the way, if Satan is coming after you, if Satan is doing these things to you and you're feeling the pressure on it, consider that answer to prayer. You ask for God to do something in you. You ask for God to grow you, extend you, change you, stretch you. Well, he's going to use everything in his power, especially Satan who's coming after you to remind you of your weakness. Pastor Prince, he says it like this. In his bountiful grace alone, not your effort, he will transform you and bring out his best in you. God just loves to turn whom the world calls losers into movers and shakers. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, selects the weak things of the world to shame the things that are mighty. He is an expert at pitting out, picking out the last, the lost, the least, and transforming them into shining examples of only what his grace can accomplish. I'm not done. Are you? We got a couple minutes here. There's not a football game playing. The weather may get really bad. Who knows what's going on with the, with the outside eating. So I'm going to continue on because i got some thoughts here I want to share with you. It's not enough just to change your focus. See, it's not enough for Griffin just to put the costume on and to start feeling it and saying, okay, he looks in the mirror because that's not Griffin. That's a superhero. Mm -hmm. You got something up in you, Griff. I see it right now. You got that hyperparousio up in there. The flip side of that is now it's time to up your game. It's time to up your game. Your weaknesses, your flaws, your defects, your imperfections are not holding you back like a broken wing. In fact, God is saying the exact opposite. God is saying, I'm going to heal that wing. You will fly again, transform you into an eagle, and you'll fly higher than everyone else. That's hyperprusio. What he's saying is there's something exciting, something supernatural, something extraordinary, something beyond your wildest dreams about to happen to you. If you just would focus on him and not you. I say it like this all the time. It's time to pray bigger. Let's look at the verse here. To him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Oh, wait a minute. Exceedingly and abundantly. Guess what word that is? Exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask and think according to the power that works in us. Hyperparousio. 
He is trying to do more than you could ever think or ask. He has a plan for you that is bigger. When you pray, start praying bigger. If you have rebellious children, don't pray that God would make your children obedient and not rebellious or maybe come to church. That's, that's a teeny tiny parousio prayer. Pray a hyper parousio prayer. Lord God, make my children leaders in the kingdom of God. I want them to be pastors, ministers, worship leaders. I want them to change the very world around them and use any means necessary even if I don't understand it. You want to pray about money? We talked about this over and over again. We talk about tithing. Don't pray that I can tithe. That's a stupid prayer. You should be tithing anyway. There's four sermons in a series last. Talk about that. But when you pray, don't pray that you can tithe and meet all of your needs. Pray that you can double your budget. Pray you can tithe, meet all your needs, and with the other half the money, bless people with the margin that you never had ever before. That's hyperprusia. Look, look, look. This is not me, and this is not self-help. This is the word of God, church. I'm just showing you that the English just doesn't do it justice. Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says at the bottom there if you can't see it. Look, l- let me use science. I don't know. Is, is anybody like science up in here? Am I the only one? We got one, two, three. We got a couple scientists in here. I'm going to break it down for you real easy. Here is in my son's physics book. Okay? This is the physical world. It's amazing how the spiritual world mirrors the physical world. God is perfect in everything he does, in every creation he has. He teaches you the invisible things of God in everything you see. This is the real world. That is a positive and a negative ion or a charge or particle. And the way it works is very simple. Positive is attracted to the negative. There's no way around this. It's electromagnetic fields. In fact, if you have two negative charges, they repel each other. If you have two positive charges, they repel each other. But look at the way the diagram is drawn. It's very interesting. These arrows are not double-sided. Look at how the arrows go. The arrows show the positive is being drawn towards the negative. Again, this is physics. This isn't even the Bible. What are we trying to learn here? You have minuses, demerits. Faults, defects, disqualifications. You have plenty of things that you wonder what in the world would God use me for. And yet God's grace is attracted to those minuses. In fact, the more of them, the more grace that God gives to you, pours into your life to use you. A lot of preachers say it this way. God does not call the qualified He qualifies whom he calls. He intends to call you. Who are the ones he called? I already told you that. I've already shown you the verses. He calls those who know they missed the mark. Now look, I'm going to share one more verse here, but as I share it, I need to be careful because this is the part of Christianity that gets a little slippery, right? Well, if you're saying this, well, then I should just go flaunt my weaknesses and sin like crazy and, and God will bless me and his grace is abundant. You see, don't misunderstand the sin of the Old Testament and the sin of the New Testament. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, you need your sin, your past, washed in his blood so that you can experience what we are talking about. And if you are a Christian today, not living a life of sin, then you understand what I mean, that you may miss the mark. Let let me pick it this way. If you really believe that, well, God's grace is so sufficient, I'll just go sin and then ask for forgiveness and sin, and and that'll be just fine, and and that's what the Bible says. If you really believe that, then you believe the rest of the Bible, so why don't you just go contract a disease and ask God to heal you? Or jump off a cliff and say, save me. You see, we don't actually believe that because we know what is true. Our intentions 
Our intentions are paramount, and nobody knows them but you, which is why you can't ask the person next to you what your greatest weakness is, because you know you have the intention. You know that you do not intend to miss the mark. You know you're not going out of your way to miss the mark, but you know that inevitably you still do because you have weakness. What I want to remind you today, I, I, I can't stop, so i got to say these couple things here. There are so many minuses among us today that you may see or feel and unless you're these people, and I'm not talking to anybody specific, you don't feel the way they do. There are single parents here today that feel that they are inadequate, that feel that they need something else to make their life complete, that feel that they can't do everything they're going to do. Hyperparousio is trying to tell you that God is attracted to those weaknesses, that in fact he will give you the grace to be the parent you need to be, both mother and father. He will give you the strength you need to take a day job, a night job, and parent your kid. He will give you the grace you need to raise that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. He will give you all that you need. If you're suffering from addiction today, he's not just saying, hey, I want to help you struggle through it. He's saying, I want to give you the grace to kick the habit. And the hyperprusio is, I want to give you so much grace that when you kick the habit, I want to help you repair your body, your life, your mind, so that you will not be subject to it. This is the hyperprusio. But most of us just want prusio. I just want a little bit. And he's offering so much more. In your finances, you may struggle with your finances and say, I, I don't know how to budget. I don't know what to do. And this is a weakness of mine and he'll never be able to use me in the kingdom because of that. Wrong. God wants to transform your finances, put you on a budget, bless you. He wants to put more money into your hands and then he wants you to be the example for everyone else. And they say, oh, that's the guy you couldn't handle finances. Now look at him. Do you see? And now you understand the verse. My power works best in weakness. I'll read it right here. I'm going to spin to it. You don't have to turn to it. It's in Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul. Paul was in prison. Paul was sick. And Paul says in 12, verse 8, my grace, this is God speaking to him. God says to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, he is. See, get, get a hold of this church. Get a hold of it. If you were strong in the midst of insults, if you were strong in the midst of insults, people think clever ways of mocking your faith. You will then think of clever ways that you wouldn't look stupid. And so you're going to find out ways to mock them in a clever and witty way. And you don't need God. So you can't insults or, or persecution. You'll find a way to come back so hard on that person, they'll never persecute you again. Or hardships. You'll use all of your own resources to get out of it. See, if you're strong in all these areas, God can use you. And if you are strong in all those areas, and you decide not to act in your own resources in all those areas, then you will know what others know, that you are making yourself weak on purpose, that you are purposely allowing God to work through you in that situation so that his power works best in your weakness. I want to share this one more thought. We're talking about the sanctity of life. We're talking about little children growing up to have a purpose and a plan. Children of all races, creeds, beliefs, sizes, and genders. All ages. Christians coming to the Lord at 80. Christians coming to the Lord at sinners at 18. It doesn't matter. God has a plan for you, and it is big, and it is huge. And so I went through scripture. And for those of you who are still paying attention, you can get a hold of this one. 
And I, next week something's changing, so I have to get this out now. You go look at scripture, and you look at this concept of God having something big, a calling, a plan, using your weaknesses for something greater. You as Christians, do not let Satan take away your glory because you feel like you have a fault or you feel like you have an inadequacy. God has a master plan. And there's another word in scripture. This was mind-blowing to me. Hopefully it hits you as hard as it hits me. There's another word in scripture that means big, bigger than big, great bigness. It means big in such a way that's majestic, glorious even. A word that's so big it means to be big in a magnificent and noble way, in a mighty way. Do you know what this word is? I didn't know. In English, I was trying to figure out what this word was. And I found it in scripture many times, mostly in the book of Kings, talking about Elijah and Eliza. The word is mantle. The word is mantle. Those of you who haven't been in church for a long time may not recognize this word. It's a word we use in Christianity to talk about God putting a calling on your life and you having something to do. But God isn't just putting a calling. He's not putting something to do in your life. He's putting a mantle that is glorious, that is mighty, that is magnificent, that's bigger than you could ever be. God is doing something in you that doesn't fit quite right. It's way bigger. It's like you being a child wearing clothes that don't fit. It's like you trying to do something that doesn't quite fit the way you are because you know you have weaknesses. Let me read this. With all of his children, each one is given a mantle, a calling, and you will be given yours. But remember, your mantle always speaks about your abundant greatness, your hyperparousia. So your calling will be too big for you. It won't fit. It won't match who you are today. There will be times when you struggle with that, when it's magnitude in comparison to who you are. It will always be greater, more powerful, more noble, more excellent, more glorious than the one who wears it. And the one who was given. Why is this? Why does God give us mantles that are too big for who we are despite our weaknesses and our disqualifications, our demerits and our failures? Your mantle is not meant to fit who you are today. It is meant to fit who you are to be, who you are to become. So when you were a little child, your parents bought you clothes that did not fit. They were too big. It wasn't to fit who you were. It was to fit who you were to become. So too your mantle must be beyond you, that you can grow into it, that you can rise into it. So never be discouraged at the difference in size. It must be that way. That way you can become greater, more excellent, more noble, more powerful. What I want to leave you with today is God mantle is way too big for you right now. It feels uncomfortable and you have weaknesses that are glaring and that's the way it's supposed to be so he can share with you his super abundant and hyper perusio, his grace that abounds forevermore. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.